Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. As we continue our series in the fullness of life from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is an abundant life that is fruitful and victorious. And so far in our study, we've looked at several key elements to this kind of life, which include abiding in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and the part that we are engaged in right now called the warfare of the Spirit. This is a spiritual warfare defined as that conflict being waged in the invisible spiritual realm that is being manifest in the visible physical realm. It is that conflict being waged in the invisible spiritual realm that is being manifest in the visible physical realm. And this has astounding implications for our everyday lives. For what it means is that everything visible and physical is the result of something invisible and spiritual. Therefore, only by addressing the invisible spiritual cause can we fix what is wrong with our visible physical lives. Now that makes us ask the question, well, who or what is that invisible spiritual cause that keeps bringing all kinds of issues into our lives? And it is the enemy, the devil, and his army of fallen angels, demons who are especially interested in attacking followers of Jesus Christ so that their lives will be less than full or abundant. Because when they are able to succeed in that way, they steal God's glory. And that has always been Satan's goal. Well, the good news is that in this spiritual battle, God has provided for us everything that we need to be victorious. He has provided everything that we need to win. And specifically, he has provided the armor of God that we have been studying in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. This includes the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and then finally, prayer. And every piece of armor strategically defends us against one of the devil's schemes. For example, the belt of the truth overcomes Satan's scheme of lies. That that belt represents the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, which is authoritative in our lives. It is the only sure foundation upon which we can build our lives. Next, the breastplate of righteousness overcomes Satan's scheme of accusation, of accusation. As as Satan attempts to remind us 24-7, 365 of our sins, we stand positionally in Christ and are covered by his righteousness. And then we purpose to live out that righteousness practically in our everyday lives. This enables us to overcome Satan's scheme of accusation. It is the breastplate of righteousness. And next, the shoes of the gospel of peace overcome Satan's scheme of conflict. 
Sin has caused enmity that we experience vertically with God and horizontally with others, with other people. It creates separation, division, disharmony. But the gospel of peace brings reconciliation, both on that vertical axis and on the horizontal axis. We can know peace with God and also peace with others. And then finally, the shield of faith. The shield of faith overcomes Satan's scheme of disruption. As Satan hurls circumstances our way designed to fill us with doubt, the shield of faith overcomes each and every fiery dart. As we walk by faith and not by sight, we trust in God with all of our hearts and we lean not on our own understanding. And all of this brings us to the fifth piece of armor, the helmet of salvation. So let me read the text for us this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we acknowledge that we have a powerful enemy who has many schemes for attacking us. But God, we thank you that you have provided everything that we need for victory. We thank you that our God is for us and not against us. And so, Father, today as we examine this particular scheme of the devil and your provision for us with the helmet of salvation, would you teach us another step and how it is that we can be victorious in the spiritual battle, that we might walk in victory, that we might live the full or abundant life in a way that glorifies you. And so open our hearts, our minds, our ears, open our eyes to see. And God, I pray for your help this morning as well as we communicate your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, is there anything on this earth more remarkable than the human brain? What a tremendous example the brain is of God's power and attention to detail, his creativity. The brain functions as the command center for the rest of our bodies. Here are some interesting stats about the human brain. It contains 86 billion, with a B, nerve cells known as neurons. And each neuron forms connections with other neurons, which could add up to one quadrillion now, I can't count a quadrillion, but I'm told that it means 1,000 trillion connections. These neurons transmit information in our brains at an impressive 268 miles per hour. All of that makes the brain faster and more powerful than any supercomputer. Now, I do have to say that the average male brain is about 10% larger than female brains. And of course, we know that even with that larger brain, men are still not as smart or as wise as women. And if all of this weren't enough, the brain can generate about 23 watts of power or enough to light a light bulb. 
Truly, our brains are very special and to be highly valued and therefore must be protected. Sadly, we are learning more and more about brains that are damaged through trauma. One example is what is known as CTE, or chronic traumatic encephalopathy, a disease linked to repeated blows to the head. Symptoms can include behavioral problems, mood problems, problems with thinking, and as the disease often gets worse, over time it can result in dementia. There is also the belief that there is an increased risk of suicide for those who suffer from CTE. Tragically, this is the story of NFL Hall of Famer Junior Seau, who committed suicide by shooting himself in the chest in 2012 at the age of 43. Now, why did he shoot himself in the chest? To preserve his brain, which when studied revealed CTE. And actually one of the best examples of this kind of brain trauma comes from right here in Cadillac, Michigan. Adolphus, known as Ad Walgast, nicknamed the Michigan Wildcat, born February 8, 1888, right here in our city. He was the lightweight champion of the world from 1910 to 1912. But this was in a day in which they didn't protect their brains as we do today. You see, Walgast won the lightweight title on February 22, 1910, when he defeated his opponent, Battling Nelson, in a bout that went 40 rounds. 40 rounds of blows to the head. And if this weren't bad enough, Walgast fought a staggering 144 times. Well, all those blows to the head took their cumulative toll as he was in and out of mental hospitals until his death in 1955. The message, the cautionary tale, protect your head, which contains your brain, because it is the command center for the rest of our bodies. But the brain is also important because it is the center of our thinking. It is the center of our thinking. It has been said that what you think means more than anything else in your life. Let that sink in for a moment. What you think means more than anything else in your life. Why? Well, because Proverbs 23, 7 tells us, For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Our brains think thoughts that literally shape who we become as people. Another way to say it, you are what you think. One author said it this way. He said, watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Where does it all begin? In your head, with your brain, and your thoughts. So with that in mind, Satan is going to do all that he can to get in your head and get in your thoughts. Because if he can do that, He's got you right where he wants you, in the clutches of defeat. Which is why the Apostle Paul writes to us in Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation to protect our heads and our thoughts from Satan's attacks. Now, as we have done in previous messages, we will study the helmet of salvation by considering Satan's scheme, God's provision, and our implementation. So let's look first of all at Satan's scheme. Now, in the case of the Roman soldier, there was particular danger from being attacked with a weapon that was known as the broadsword. 
the broadsword. It was a large weapon, about three to four feet in length. This, was, this is different than the dagger that was tucked into the belt of truth. This is a, a much larger weapon, double-edged and meant to be handled with two hands. And cavalrymen would use it to swing at the heads of enemy soldiers to split their skulls or to decapitate them, which is less than a pleasant thought, isn't it? Truly, in such combat, it was necessary, essential, for that first century Roman soldier to wear a good helmet, one like this made of tough iron or bronze with cheek guards and inside lining of sponge that made it a bit lighter and more bearable to wear. Um, one person said nothing short of an axe could penetrate these helmets. That's how strong they were, how durable, how heavy duty. Well, in spiritual warfare, Satan has his own broadsword that he swings at our heads in an effort to, to decapitate us and to incapacitate us. And his broadsword, his weapon, his scheme against our heads is despair. It's despair. Despair is defined as the complete loss or absence of hope. Synonyms for despair include discouragement, gloom, dejection, disheartenment. In essence, Satan wants to get in our heads to convince us that we have always been losers in the past, that we are losing in the present, and that we will lose in the future. Now, pay close attention to those verb tenses of past, present, and future because they will be very important to us in just a few minutes. You see, if Satan is successful in filling our heads with despair, with the idea that we have always been losers, that we are losing, and that we will lose, he will destroy our confidence. And what happens to a soldier who lacks confidence on the battlefield? They're ineffective, and ultimately, they are defeated. It's hard to be victorious in battle if you're convinced that you're going to lose. Remember, we are what we think. I remember when Josh, my son, was playing youth football. Every year we had to play the Napomo Cowboys, a youth football powerhouse, which we were not. And here's the thing, whenever we had to play the Cowboys, we were beat before the game even started. Why? Because they were already in our heads and we were convinced that we were gonna lose. And maybe you can relate. Somewhere along the way, the devil, got into your head, into your thoughts, and convinced you that you have always been a loser in the past, that you are losing in the present, and that you will lose in the future. And in so doing, he has overwhelmed you with hopelessness to the point where you just want to give up. Maybe that's in your marriage, your job, your health, your parenting, your walk with Christ, you name it. Satan wants to bring despair, that sense of hopelessness that would cause us to lack confidence and be defeated. If that's you this morning, please know that you are not alone. In fact, some of the greatest heroes of the faith fell prey to Satan's attack of despair. Even the Apostle Paul, he, uh, he said in 2 Corinthians 1.8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Isn't that interesting? 
The same person who wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Here, in one occasion in his life at least, he says, We despaired of life itself. King David in Psalm 69, he wrote, Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. You see, the man described after, to be after God's own heart, he fell victim to Satan's scheme of despair. And then there was the prophet Elijah. On the heels of his great victory over the prophets of Baal, when he was informed that Jezebel was coming to take his life, we read in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Despair, hopelessness. The apostle Paul, King David, Elijah, great heroes of the faith, all, they, they for some reason, let Satan get into their heads and they fell victim to his scheme of despair. And they experienced the complete loss or absence of hope in which Satan attempted to get in their heads to convince them that they had always been losers in the past, that they are losing in the present, and that they will lose in the future. For the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy our hope. And as pastor and author Max Lucado said, he said, we need hope. There's nothing worse than to live a life of despair. For a person to have no hope just sucks the blue out of every sky. Not only does it suck the blue out of every sky, but it also empties us of power. John Maxwell said it this way. He said, where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. That's what happened to the Ohio Eagles youth football team when they played the Napomo Cowboys. No hope in the future meant no power in the present. So it's no wonder that the devil works so hard to get into our heads and to fill us with despair the complete loss or absence of hope. But thanks be to God, we do not have to be defeated by any of Satan's scheme, and that most certainly includes the scheme of despair that we are studying today. For to protect us from these attacks, we have God's provision. And in this particular case, against this particular scheme of the evil one, God has provided for us the helmet of salvation. Now, what realistically, what exactly is this helmet and how does it keep the devil out of our heads, overcoming his scheme of despair? Well, I believe we're given some help on understanding it in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, where this helmet is referred to specifically as, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And for a helmet, the hope of of salvation. If you remember, one of the synonyms for despair, the scheme of the evil one, was hopelessness. The devil wants to steal our hope, and so it makes perfect sense that the antidote for despair is, in fact, hope. And in this case, very specifically, the hope of our salvation. Now, let's talk about the definition of hope for a moment. For you see, hope in our culture is defined as wishful thinking. We hope something positive is going to happen, but we're uncertain if it will. Much like the Ojai Eagles defeating the Napomo Cowboys, we, we hoped it might happen, but we knew better. It was nothing more than wishful thinking. 
but that is not the way that the term hope is used in the Bible. You see, in the Bible, hope is the assurance of promises fulfilled. The assurance of promises fulfilled. God says it, so we know that it's going to happen because that is God's character. He is the promise keeper. He has never lied. He has never told a half-truth. Everything that he says will come to pass exactly as he has said it. Rather, this kind of hope, biblical hope, is not a matter of if something is going to happen, but it's a matter of when something is going to happen. Titus 2.13 gives us the ultimate example of this kind of biblical hope. It says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, did God say that Jesus is going to return to earth? He most certainly did. And so we have this blessed hope rooted in God's promise that it will absolutely be fulfilled. It is not a matter of if, but it is a matter of when. And that gives us this blessed assurance, biblical hope. And so while hope in our culture is wishful thinking, hope in the Bible is the assurance of promises fulfilled. And God has given us so many wonderful promises to fill us up with hope and to overcome Satan's scheme of despair. And the greatest of these promises has to do with our salvation. Now remember, Satan wants to get in our heads to convince us that we have always been losers in the past, that we are losing in the present, and that we will lose in the future. Here is that past, present, and future dimension to this demonic despair. His scheme is quite comprehensive, isn't it? But the wonder of our salvation and what makes it such a powerful protector against this scheme of despair is that our salvation is so comprehensive that it gives hope, that assurance of promises fulfilled for our past, our present, and our future. These past, present, and future dimensions of our salvation are exactly what is needed to overcome the past, present, and future dimensions of Satan's scheme of despair. So let's take a moment to look at each of these dimensions of our salvation. First of all, our salvation is past. Our salvation is past. We have been saved. This is known as our justification. That term keeps coming up the last few weeks, doesn't it? We keep coming back to this idea of justification, that we have been saved from sin's penalty. Jesus dying on the cross, his shed blood makes the way for us to be forgiven. We make that great exchange. We give him our sin. He gives us his righteousness, and we are justified, declared righteous before God. We are saved from sin's penalty. And as it says in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Have been saved. That's past, right? As if our salvation is a done deal, because it is. We are positionally in Christ, justified, covered by his righteousness, and the devil cannot take that away. But here's the thing. Our salvation goes even beyond that. As wonderful as that is, there's so much more. You see, our salvation offers us not only hope for the past, but hope for the present. 
and protection from the despair that Satan tries to get us to believe that we are presently defeated losers. For you see, there is a present dimension to our salvation. We are being saved. That is our sanctification in which we are saved from sin's power. Saved from sin's power. The past, we have been saved. The present, we are being saved. Justification, sanctification. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2 says it this way. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You are being saved. That's an ongoing present reality, isn't it? The process by which we are daily being conformed to the image of Jesus, becoming more and more like him, walking in victory by the power of the Holy Spirit, because we serve a risen Savior who is in the world today at work in us. Satan's attack of despair is thwarted at every turn by the helmet of salvation. In this case, his efforts to convince us that we are losers in the present, resigned to living in defeat. It is he himself who was defeated by the helmet of salvation. But there's more. There's more. Our salvation also has a future dimension we will be saved and that is our glorification in which we are saved ultimately from sin's presence philippians 1 6 says this and i am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion when at the day of jesus christ will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What is the day of Jesus Christ? When he returns. This speaks of a future dimension to our salvation, one described in 1 John 3, 2, where he says, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You talk about the hope of salvation. Jesus is coming back, and when he does, we will be glorified. We will be like him. There is absolutely no defeat in that, and certainly no reason for despair. This great hope for the future means that we have strength and power to live here in the present. Jesus will see us safely home to victory. And when you put all these pieces together, John MacArthur says this. He says, the helmet of salvation is that great hope of final salvation that gives us confidence and assurance that our present struggle with Satan will not last forever and we will be victorious in the end. We know the battle is only for this life and even a long earthly life is no more than a split second compared to the eternity with our Lord in heaven. We are not in a race we can lose. I love that. We can't lose. And that hope for the future gives us strength to live victoriously here in the present. You'll remember that we as a church family, we spent nearly a year studying the book of Revelation, learning all about in great detail the final victory of Jesus Christ and for all of those who belong to him. 
Satan can attack us all he wants to on this earth. He can try to bring all the despair he wants, but the bottom line is that he is a defeated foe and he knows it. This is why we fight our spiritual battles from victory and not for victory. You know, every once in a while, I'll be busy and won't be able to be home to watch a sporting event that I want to see, and so I'll record it on the DVR and save it to watch later. Going to great lengths to make sure that no one tells me the outcome. But the truth of the matter is it rarely works. Inevitably, I'll get a, a text from someone that spoils it. They'll give me the final score and I'll know the ultimate outcome. And when that's the case, and I know that my team has won, it's a bittersweet moment. I'll go home and watch the event anyway, but I'll do so without the suspense, without the knowledge that even if, my team is, even if my team is struggling in the third quarter, they may even be behind on the scoreboard in the third quarter, I know that at the end of the game, they're going to come out on top. And so it is with us. We have our moments of struggle. It can feel like Satan's going to win. But we know better. We know the final score. We know that at the end of the day, we win because Jesus wins. And that is the essence of the helmet of salvation that we use to protect our heads, our thoughts from the enemy who attempts to bring despair. And this truth is described for us in Hebrews 619, where it says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. You see, God's promises which give us hope, the assurance of promises fulfilled, this becomes our anchor when life gets difficult and when Satan tries to come against us with despair. This is the helmet of salvation, the hope, the assurance of promises fulfilled regarding our past, our present, and our future salvation. No matter how much Satan wants to get in our heads to convince us that we have always been losers in the past, that we are losing in the present, and that we will lose in the future, the helmet of salvation defends us against his every attempt to bring despair. Because you see, for the Christian, ultimate victory is a fact, regardless of our present circumstances. So, that is Satan's scheme, despair, God's provision of the helmet of salvation. Let's conclude today by talking about our implementation, the application, answering the question, how should we then live? Point number one under application this morning is don't be surprised, taken off guard by the battle. Don't be surprised by the battle. We talked about this in week one of our study of spiritual warfare, the introduction. We, we get so busy living life, doing our thing, focusing on what we see with our physical eyes, and oblivious to the war, the spiritual conflict that is raging all around us and really has that influence and impact on everything that we see. And then we get hit in the face, unprepared for battle. And we lose heart. Church, remember what Ephesians 6 has made so clear. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our enemy 
is a spiritual enemy. It is the devil and his army of angels. And that word wrestle, you'll remember, it refers to hand-to-hand fighting, intense battle, close quarters, face-to-face, requiring great skill, great strategy, and great determination. With this in mind, church, we must be vigilant. We must be on guard. We must approach every day for our devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We must live like soldiers rather than civilians. Too often we live each day as if we're civilians at peacetime rather than soldiers at wartime, oblivious and unprepared for the attacks that come against us. We cannot be victorious this way. We cannot live full or abundant lives this way. We must embrace our role as soldiers in God's army, ready to do battle against the enemy of our souls. One way that we do this is explained in Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly, not on the things that are on earth, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We must learn to see beyond the things of this earth and to put our eyes on the things above and to even ask for spiritual discernment into the spiritual realm. Next, number two, we must anticipate Satan's scheme of despair. We must anticipate Satan's scheme of despair. Here's what's really cool. Um, We have Satan's playbook. What an advantage. Any football coach would love to have the opponent's playbook in their possession to know, and we know exactly what they're going to do. We have it. We know how Satan is going to attack us. And we know that he will certainly do all he can to run that play of despair to steal our hope and our confidence, making us ineffective and defeated in battle. So we anticipate this. Know that it's coming. Don't be surprised when you sense that Satan's trying to get into your head and bring despair. Know that this is one of his most powerful weapons and that he will use it against you. Anticipate Satan's scheme of despair, which then leads to number three. Strap on the helmet. Strap on the helmet of salvation. Now, how do we do that? That sounds very vague, very nebulous. How do we practically strap on the helmet of salvation? I think it comes down to this. I think it comes down to celebrating the past, the present, and the future dimensions of the gospel every single day. You see, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day, reminding ourselves where we've come from, the fact that we don't deserve salvation, the fact that we were wretched sinners, but God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And so we have been justified. We are being sanctified. We will be glorified. The fact that we have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. And the good work that God has begun in you, he will be faithful to bring to completion. We must celebrate that. We must rehearse it, remind ourselves of that every single day. And honestly, this is part of what makes Sunday worship so significant and so important and why it is so necessary for for us as pastors and for worship leaders to to choose and write sermons and to sing songs that, that celebrate our salvation and remind us of the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. We need that on Sunday. 
but we need it Monday through Saturday as well. There's something special about coming together as a church family, as the body of Christ, and celebrating that together. I believe that's meant to to give us great momentum as we go into the course of our week. But we know that that momentum can be quickly lost. Sundays are so important. It's so important that we give it priority and come together for this particular reason to help us to put on that helmet of salvation. But it is also important that Monday through Saturday you celebrate each and every day our past, present, and future salvation. Commentary, commentator Tony Morita said it this way. He said, to resist the devil, we must be assured of our salvation. Go to God daily and be reminded of the great object of your faith, Christ. Our hope is in him. If you are trusting in him, then do not listen to the devil's lies. Say to the evil one, I have been saved from sin's penalty. I am being saved from sin's power, and I will one day be saved from sin's presence. Say to him, I am alive with Christ, redeemed, forgiven, reconciled, raised with Christ, and seated with Christ. Put your helmet on and do not let the evil one get to your head. Let's pray. Again, Father, we are so grateful that you, in your divine wisdom, have given us just the right pieces of armor to counteract every single one of Satan's attacks. And God, I know that there are people who have gathered at First Baptist. I know that there are people who are watching this, who are listening to this, who themselves right now are battling with despair. And the evil one is doing all he can to get into our heads And God, I pray for those who are particularly vulnerable today. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would defeat the enemy, that you would give that helmet of salvation to those individuals to put on and strap on tightly, reminding them of the true comprehensive nature of our salvation, that we are victorious in our past, our present, and our future. And that truth overcomes Satan's lies that he uses to bring despair. God, would you bring hope and encouragement to everyone who is listening right now? And God, may we be the victorious people living the abundant life that you have called us to be, not primarily for ourselves, but for you and for your glory. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.